Welcome to International Insights, stories from the real economy. My name is Josh Gembry. There is arguably no more pure form of leadership than coaching a sports team. Coaches spend their time identifying talent, reflecting on strategy, communicating, preparing a team and monitoring execution. Resources, competition, persuasion and performance characterize the landscape, whether it's a boardroom or a clubhouse. Can leaders of other organizations learn lessons from sport? This is what we will talk about today. And to do this, we have two sport leaders who have experience preparing teams for international competitions. Pipop Saila coached the national football team in the early 90s, apart from serving as director of sport for the Malta Olympic Committee. George Mikalev is the lead football commentator on local television and served as the first head of the National Sports School. I'm happy to be joined by two persons so much associated with international sport. Pipop Saila, George Mikalev, welcome to International Insights. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Let's start from you, Pippo. You've prepared our national team for international competitions, Euro qualifiers, World Cup qualifiers, etc. How is it different to prepare a team for an international competition? Well, the stimuli are completely different. Um, the level of competition itself urges the athlete to be more focused and therefore you have to manage the stress element, the anxiety and the expectation, to be quite honest, of the general public. Um, one has to remember that when you are playing for your national team, you do feel a certain amount of added responsibility. On, on, a, on a player front, you mean? Exactly. And that bears down on you, especially if you don't have a successful track record okay. because you drag it with you all over the place. So a lot of the work is done on the back room, reassurance, um, giving a lot of psychological boost, and a lot, a lot of self-talk. This is very important. The arena's big, it's competitive, the game is of a completely different dimension, the okay. pace, the speed, the decision-making has to be quicker, and you really need to fire up your guns from a psychological perspective, but even more so from a, a preparedness. You know, you have to really be prepared. Okay. And it's a matter of all these things coming together in those 90 minutes. Absolutely. You know, and, and uh, at the end of the day, the most important thing is that you sensibilize your athletes, your team, to ensure that they perform at their maximum. Okay. okay. That's the most important. And that's what you as a coach will be kind of trying to, to yes. do and trying to establish yes. a balance. Yes, a lot of reassurance. Obviously, the tactical part is important, depending the opposition, depending the type of game, the philosophy, the style of play of your opponents. Um, technically, there's not much to prepare because you're talking at the highest level. Exactly. So a lot of the work is mental, the mental toughness, the mental game, and more so the tactical aspect, okay. you know. If you need a certain, uh, if you, for example, you're going to play a low block or a high block or you're playing against a team who plays an offside trap or you want to play a quick transition game, then you need to prepare very, very well. Absolutely. It's no longer like we used to read in the comic books where a pep talk before the game gets we'll the it. athlete going. Okay. No, it's not that. It's easy. more than that. It's on that, more. in fact, I want to introduce George a bit on the, on the psychological aspect. Why is an international competition different in that sense? 
Yeah, most definitely. Um, it's a different reality because the opponents are of a higher level. So, just like people said, um, the mental preparation is extremely important, but you need to prepare your players to the kind of situation which they don't normally face in local competitions. And I would say <clears throat> it's mostly about adversity, setbacks, mistakes, how you react when you make mistakes. Well, it's very likely that you get punished when you make a mistake at international level. You get punished then, faster and, yeah, and more faster. severely. Uh, I agree with Pepo. Um, the intensity is much more big and there's the high tempo of the game, the aggression. But you're all the time under pressure. You're playing under pressure. Now, how, that, how does that affect your players? And the level of concentration, the focus that Pippo mentioned are crucial. But it's more, I would say, reacting to mistakes because you are bound to do mistakes. And watching the national team for several years, I've seen the national team succumb um, when they make crucial mistakes. And when do we concede most likely? People might remember this, um, just before halftime. And that's really uh, hurtful uh, because that will influence the, the entire team mm -hmm. and um, going <clears throat> into the interval, conceding a goal would trash completely uh, your psychological makeup. So adversity, reacting to setback, but um, it's all about resilience. And sports is very much about resilience. Absolutely. Um, this podcast is about, you know, how <coughs> organizations that are not sport organizations can learn lessons from sport. One of the big issues around sport and other organizations is obviously leadership. Um, people, have you had to kind of break down, you know, this very big umbrella term leadership, you know, in sport in the sense from your experience, but kind of how it translates to other organizations. What, what are the skills in reality? What, how do you break that down? I think in sport, as to in all walks of life, it's all about a people's business. We put too much emphasis on the technical side, the physical side, the mental side and we forget about the human element. Especially in a team sport, you need to energize the individual talents for the collective. And that's very difficult mm -hmm. because of the egos. Yes. And very, 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 very important is that you build a focus. There has to be a raison d'etre, a reason for being in this team, okay. Okay. a sense of belonging, mm -hmm. a dressing room atmosphere. Okay a buddy-buddy atmosphere that I know that when I turn my back, I'm going to find you to rest on, and you know that you can rely on me. Okay. Especially in the critical times, the times when the going gets tough. A famous boxer, Jack Dempsey, used to say, when the going gets tough, the tough have to get going. And in a team sport, that's even more so. Mm -hmm. Going to leadership, I once read, and I really, really like this, that it's more important than being a leader for one, to lead people. Because leaders are followed out of a sense of fear. Mm -hmm. But people who lead follow because they persuade others and they motivate others mm -hmm. and they franchise others okay. to the task that they are being led to. 
And this is the style of leadership, especially in a team concept, mm -hmm. that I like to follow. I need to franchise my athletes. Okay. I need to franchise my players. They have to feel a sense of ownership. Okay. And, and 40 ownership years for, ago... For, for a purpose, you mean? That's, that's, that's yes. What... I mean, I started coaching in 1978. It was a different planet. It was very autocratic. Um, what the coach said was done. Today, it's very democratic. And unless I franchise my athletes and I make them feel an integral part of the project, okay. we're not going to be successful. Okay. There are too many things working against us. The quality of the local game, for example, the national team, um, the shrewdness, because there is an amount of gamesmanship which goes on at international level, which is we, our players, are not exposed to in our leagues. Okay. Now, if we don't have this common denominator and we can bring everybody as a stakeholder on board, we're going to fail. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the most important trigger of leadership when we come to push and drive a team forward. It's tactics and things like that. They are the detail. But if I don't have a motivational force, a stimuli and a response to that stimuli, I'm never going to be successful. That's really interesting. George, your take on something like yeah. this? I very much believe that leadership is all about people and relationships. Um, I like Daniel Goldman's uh, quote about uh, leadership. Uh, great leaders move us. Great leaders, they, they ignite our passion and they inspire the best in us. So... Great leadership works through emotions. And this is where I firmly believe I'm a huge advocate of emotional intelligence. And I think that is... It's the key kind of skill yeah. of a leader, you mean? Uh, I, I, I believe that you need to have the ability mm -hmm. to understand, first of all, and manage your own emotions. But you need to also to have the ability to understand and influence the emotions of others. So emotional leadership is... Self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy. Mm -hmm. It's extremely important. And the social skills, okay. the soft skills, like communication, which is extremely important, effective uh, communication. And also, you need to catch people doing the right things. Okay. You need to catch people doing things right. So leadership is not about exerting authority. Mm -hmm. That's probably uh, the old thinking of, of leadership. But rather, it's inspiring others, bringing the very best uh, from not others. Individuals, like okay. yeah. But towards the purpose that Pippa was was yes. mentioning. Have, yes. How 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 did you know you've occupied leadership yes. positions <clears throat> over years? Have you changed yourself? And I'm going to ask this to Pippa as well. Have you changed yourself as a leader Extremely. over time? Extremely. Okay. How? Extremely. Um, the self-regulation is extremely important, managing your own emotions, because uh, very easily, when under pressure, you might not stay calm, and that's when you become over-emotional, and the way you react under pressure will influence others. But then also, I've worked a lot on relationships, and I believe that relationships are so key the connection uh, element of uh, leadership, that you need to build trust. And trust is not easily built. Now, I firmly believe that great leaders, if they build trust, and in that way, they open up relationships, uh, 
um, they can do it through vulnerability. Now, being vulnerable is sometimes perceived, especially by us males, as something and in sport as a weakness. But in truth, vulnerability means you let inside the room more of yourself. I don't know everything. It's okay for a leader to admit that he doesn't know everything. The greatest leaders help others around him grow. And it's not a question, I am firmly the sole point of reference and I know everything. No, it's okay to say that I don't know everything. So you take off your mask and allow more of yourself in that relationship. Be more kind of authentic, you're saying, kind of, and, yes. and, and, and therefore build relationships. And this is something you've yes. seen changing in, your, in yourself, like in, in your yes, style. Yes, and then time. people engage more. Okay. And engagement is another thing, okay. which is extremely important, and communication. So when you're engaging, eye contact is extremely important. Right. The uh, physical pre- uh, presence and ask, listen, respond. And when you are inquiring, how somebody feels, and that's something which is important for leaders, taking time to talk, not necessarily about things related to work, but trying to create that kind of engagement, that kind of intimacy, Mm. because sometimes intimacy is perceived as something between, I mean, two lovers or people who are close to each other. It has its own kind of negative connotations. But but the level of intimacy gives the other person, the employees in this case, or uh, your players, an opportunity to engage more with you. They trust you. And then that's where the sense of ownership, which I strongly believe in, people feel, ah, we are part, we can contribute. And it's something really important. Earlier on, you mentioned the word purpose, which is so important, uh, knowing what the common purpose is and how I am part of that vision, how am I part of that purpose. So with engagement, it's really important that you really mean it. If you're asking someone how you feel, mean it literally. There's authenticity in that yeah. sense. Being authentic and, and, is another quality of leadership. Of I, think, I think the key word is we. Okay. Once we apply the we concept, okay. we as a team, then everything falls into place. And this goes even in industry and in work. I, I, I run a, quite a large business. And I never thought the business was mine. Okay. The business was ours. All my employees from the top to the bottom. Yeah. And until I got that mentality going, okay. I could never be a successful businessman. Okay. Because it's useless that I'm going to the right and they're going to the left. Exactly. We have to find a center ground and we have to agree what our goals, our objectives are. Exactly. Coming to the management of international games, it's very important that a leader, a coach, whatever you are, energizes the anxiety and converts it into positive energy. This is the trick. We're all going to be excited. I remember Pelé. They told him, you retired from international football, top grade football, at your peak. You know his answer what it was? You know why I did give up at my peak? It's because when I walked into the dressing room one day, I didn't feel the excitement, the fear, the anxiety that I've had all my life. And that was the day I knew I had to give up. Some anxiety you need to perform, you mean? It's not you need, it is the prerequisite for a good performance. If I'm not there, 
I'm vegetating. I'm a, I'm a vegetable. Mm -hmm. Now, how, as a coach, I can convert that energy into something positive, yeah. that's the trick. Absolutely. And that's, and that's, um, yeah. and that's obviously the, the million dollar one. How are, in fact, my next question is this, you know, how is the, you know, the, the quality of leadership tested in reality, in sport and out of sport, you know, in, 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 in which situations are your qualities is, is where, where really, you know, what you're made of comes out? The first thing is consistency. Okay. If I'm an inconsistent person, okay. I can never gain the thrust of who is giving me his thrust. Okay or supposed to give me his trust. So I can't wake up in the morning and say, listen, today we are going to do this. And the next day I say, today this is, I have to set the boundaries. Right. And my athletes, my team, my squad, my employees, my workforce need to know what I stand for, what I expect from them. Okay. Otherwise, there's going to be conflictuality. I can't wake up in the morning. So consistency is the first pre prerequisite. I need to make sure that respect, okay. and respect is a very, very abused word because it has so much elasticity in what is respect. Okay. Okay. Fundamentally, it's learning to live together. I used to remember traveling even with the Olympic teams, we used to be 200, 250 people from 15 different sports, so everybody has his own different exigency. And I also, I always noticed the five-day itch. Okay. The five-day itch was that beyond the fifth day, the athletes got very edgy. Okay. Because they were in an artificial context, a controlled environment, away from the family. Okay. They're not real professionals, so... They're not used to it. They're not used to <clears throat> it. And this contained artificial environment mm -hmm. starts to wear down. Okay. So when you go to an Olympic Games, you're there for four weeks before. The competition is two, three weeks. That's a real killer. Okay. To keep them motivated. To, and to keep them focused. Focused. We have, right the, of anxiety. We, have the, we have the classical case of a French super athlete, Marie Perec. Mm -hmm. Marie Perec, two gold medals in the previous Olympic Games, 1996, Atlanta. And in 2000, Sydney, she came. The first thing she asked not to live in the Olympic Village. Okay. She went and they put her in a five-star hotel. She left the Games. She never even competed, never even stepped into the Olympic Village because she couldn't cope with the burden of success from the previous exactly. game. So much was expected from her. So much was expected from her that she just couldn't bear it down. Why? Because she wasn't mentally prepared. Okay. That's basically it. Exactly. And I think... This is one of the things that is taken for granted and regrettably, okay. I'm not against specialists like sports psychologists, but the first psychologist needs to be the coach. Okay. Because the coach lives day and night with these exactly. athletes. Okay. He's feeling their humor. He's sharing their problems. Okay. He's sharing their, their family issues, especially in Malta, where we don't have full-time professional athletes. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the sports psychologist comes in when there's a problem. No, the coach is there living 24-7. He's got the moods, the humors, mm -hmm. the antagonisms. I can't, I can't deny. There were times before international game, the environment was so electrifying okay. that in the last few training sessions before, where it's supposed to be low-key because 
you preserve injury. Exactly, uh, and energy. There were kicks flying around. Okay. And there were like kung fu kicks and okay. tackles all over the place. Okay. Which and one you, are you? Of you course, have no? to defuse it. You have to defuse it. You have to defuse it. And that's where you convert this anxious moment mm -hmm. into positive energy. Something positive, yeah. Absolutely. One thing I wanted to ask you as well, because this is all well and good, of course, but it, being a national coach team like you were has a public aspect as well. So how, did you, how do you manage then the pressure of... It's a nightmare. Okay. This is the beauty of being a foreign <laughs> okay. coach, because your term is over, the game is over, and you're, and you're out. I have to go to Sunday Mass, and as we say in Maltese, for it's un tirtar el pippu, el checco, el maria. So everyone and has if you had a bad game, yeah. you know, everybody really... Yeah. Yeah. And how did, how did you manage that? I, I, I guess well, in the early 90s it was also, well, like this, of course. I don't think I managed it well. Okay. <laughs> I have to okay. be honest with okay. you. But it wears into you. You get thick-skinned okay. and... Uh, I always actually used to use a very good yardstick. The difference between disappointment is where you put your benchmark. Okay. Because disappointment is the difference between expectation and reality. Yeah. So I always faced every game very realistically. I knew when I was going to have a really tough day at the office. And I knew when I was going to have... Mm. So my psyche was already prepared. Okay. As the result comes, it's not always what you anticipate, obviously, because it's so dynamic. Things happen, a referee's decision, exactly. a distraction, like George said. And uh, one thing I have to tell you, the difference between local and international games, that in an international games, there's much more going on in when the ball is dead. Okay, okay, okay. In Malta, when the ball is dead, our players are brain dead. Okay. So we're not thinking. Okay. okay. When you come internationally... Because the pressure is much higher, you mean? And no, the tempo is no because there's gamesmanship. Okay. The decision-making, okay. the quickness. Okay. Gamesmanship uh, is, is street sense? Yes. Sport. Okay. For example, a throw-in, a corner kick, okay. a goal kick, a free kick. Mm -hmm. Here, everything is at walking pace. Okay. So the decision-making, you have time. Mm -hmm. In international football, Everything is time compressed. Okay. As soon as the ball, everybody's thinking quickly. Exactly. So your reaction time is compressed. Very good. Now, our athletes aren't used to that. Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest problems big that you change. have is you can see it goes from a corner kick. Why? In Maltese we say, conchas. Okay. You know, you, you just... You are idle for idle, a second. Idle, you know, your mind... You go into a pause. Exactly. You can't afford to do that Absolutely. in the national football. I want to move to, to uh, talent, because this is a, another thing which I believe you know, uh, business and organizations can learn from sport. George, you've been the first head of our national sports school, but I guess at the same time, whereas I believe in sport, it's probably easy to see talent. You see someone performing, he's good or not good. In other organizations, it's hard to, you know, to see whether someone is really good by just doing an interview. Mm. How, how, how is that different? I'm not too sure whether it's always easy even in to talent identify, even in sport. Okay. <clears throat> we get it wrong um, at times. Well, first many of all... Times. Many <laughs> times. Okay. I would say, many yes, times. many times, because uh, we don't look into talent identification in its entirety. So, first of all, talent could be understood to be a giftedness. Someone is born, born with, with some kind of talent, but that's not enough. Okay. 
that's the biggest difference between talent and potential. And I rather prefer focusing more on potential, the willingness of the individual, the athlete in this case, to grow. Okay. And it relates even to the industry or in the workforce, because if someone is prepared to grow, to learn more, uh, is willing to look inside and see where he can improve okay. his qualities, um, that makes a big difference. Then talent becomes potential and that's where growth really happens. Okay. So in our case in sports, we look at the different facets of development. Okay. Okay. Uh, I usually work with young athletes, that's okay. been my um, remit mostly, and there are different areas. So you're looking at the technique, the tactical aspect, but also you're looking at the physical aspect and the psychosocial. Okay. And very often we have been found wanting on the latter part, okay. the psychological, the psychosocial, the mental part, and we don't really give it enough importance because that's where you learn more about the person, the character, his resilience, his coachability, about his confidence, um, the way he reacts to setbacks, how passionate he is. Um, does he have that intrinsic drive? Okay. okay. Does he have that love for the football or is it something that comes mostly from the parents. Okay, okay. Uh, parents very often would want to uh, see in the child what they did not achieve themselves. They live the dream. And we need to uh, see uh, the uh, player, the athlete, really flourishing because he really has this internal drive. Okay. So <clears throat> when it comes to um, talent and potential, it's a little bit dangerous if you just look at the current performance, okay. what you're watching see right now. Playing. You need to see other things which will develop later on. So in our case in sports, especially with youth athletes, <coughs> uh, you need to look whether he's an early maturer or a late developer. And this also happens in education. Some people, some kids are early developers, others are late developers. And giving time to late developers, understanding also the physiology, the biological changes happening, the growth spurt um, happening. But talent is something that um, you need to nurture um, to become really strong potential and growth is very much related. And I believe there are two important things when it comes to, to talent and growth. First of all, it's challenging okay. the individual to move outside of his comfort zone. But you can't do it without support. <laughs> if you challenge the athlete without support, then what happens? It becomes a very stressful situation. Yeah. Anxiety creeps in. Frustration. And they become demotivated, burnout could occur, so they need to be happening at the same time. Also, I believe that you need to look at each individual as a project. Mm -hmm. You need to focus on the person, the athlete, but also the student in this case when it comes to, to, to young athletes. But even when it comes to the workforce and, and uh, the business side, um, we need to be more uh, 
person-centered. Exactly. A kind of holistic and not just yes, seeing more talent holistic. when you see it. Looking well, at the welfare of the, the well-being. It's not only the physical side, but there's the emotional side. There is absolutely. also the mental side. Absolutely. Paradoxically, to... actually, um, talent is the least important for success. Yes. Interesting. It's a paradox and a paradox to a certain extent. It's a misnomer more than that okay. because... Okay people think that it's all about talent. No, it's not. Okay. Okay. First of all, you need to be coachable. Okay. Okay. I can have a talent because God made me a exactly. talent, but I cannot receive coaching. Okay. Okay. So the first thing we see is how coachable is the player? Okay. How receptive to learning? And most important of all, attitude, commitment, yeah. hard work. These three are the basic ingredients, because if I rely on talent alone, somebody less talented but with more and higher work ethics is going to go onto the fast lane and he's going to surpass me over time. Something interesting which George mentioned is the good talent development and good youth development schemes are projectual. We want to foresee where the athlete is going to be Mm -hmm. in four, eight, ten, twelve years' time. Mm -hmm. It's not today, it's not a balance sheet, a snapshot snapshot of my business Mm -hmm. on this particular day. Where is this athlete going to be in Olympics 2038? And I have to then work back from that ultimate goal. Absolutely. But obviously in your career in coaching football, for example, many times you were given teams to coach. How have you managed to control and balance the talkative guys, the prima donnas, the stars, the people who are the quiet ones? How do you do that in, in a team which sometimes is, in the case of football, what, 22? It's difficult. It's difficult. Actually, you know what we call these people who talk a lot? Con men. Okay. <laughs> they are con men. But the, but the best are probably the stars, not the con men. No? <laughs> no. Stars are... Uh, um, in top teams. Okay. In top teams, managerial positions is all to do about managing egos. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm not going to teach a Messi how to dribble. Of course. I don't even need to teach him the tactics because he's intelligent enough. He's physically fit. What I need him to do is apply everything he's got for the benefit of all of us. Yeah. And not just think of himself. But how, if, do, but how do you do that with people who have you know, relatively large egos even? Well, as I said in the beginning, getting the focus to work on the ultimate objective. Okay. We need to have a common denominator. Yeah. Why are we here? Exactly. What is our purpose? Exactly. What is our scope? Mm. Once I have transmitted yeah. and transferred what I have in my mind, this is like teaching. Mm-hmm. It's useless I'm a brilliant scholar, a brilliant researcher, if I can't impart that knowledge yeah. to whom has to receive it. Yeah. Coaching is the same. Exactly. And it all starts with a trigger. Yeah. Okay. And the trigger is not just Intrinsic, there are extrinsic ones as well. And this is where motivation comes in and where a lot, a lot, a lot of work of success 
because then we also have to talk about success management. Mm, exactly. For a country which is not used to high sporting success, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. your biggest enemy is when you actually are successful. Why? Because you... Titla le Karasek. You go overboard. Literally, you get drunk with success. Yeah, yeah. So, and the problem, when I was national coach, we used to play an international game every month, mm. and at times even every three weeks. Okay. So, you're at a high, and you have to control the high. You're at a low, and you have to boost up the low. Yeah. So, but I, but, I, but I guess in, in a lot of performances, not just in football, of course, everywhere else, and, and this is again where leadership comes in, you're managing kind of failure. More, I, I understand your point on the success and what that can do, but failure, you know, it, but when you get a result, you, which even for it you... It depends is, how, you define, how you define failure and how I define success. Okay. If I'm playing Italy, as I did, and I lose 2-1, yes. and I leave them for 60 minutes, Famous game. and we miss a penalty, and they get the best player, Baresi, kicked off to avoid yes. a goal. And we lose 2-1 and we give them a run. And all the Italian press is saying, vergogna nazionale. Well, and, but that's and, a success objectively. So. Yeah, for me, walking out, I walked out six feet. And my players have to recognize that that was Absolutely. a successful lay. Notwithstanding, we lost yeah, yeah, because <laughs> we had no, but at the end of the day, we on lost. A, on a failure day, and, and, you, yeah. and we have and this in sport and in organizations. I can have a failure day, and I played a brilliant game. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've seen, I've seen us lose to Spain 4-0 okay. in Sevilla. Okay. This was after the 12-1 massacre. It was a fantastic game. On 1-0, we could have come 1-1, and there was... Uh, somebody from actually from the stands who whistled and our player stopped thinking that the referee whistled for offside Charles and he Sherry. was uh, exactly Charles, Charles Sherry was and we, we could come on you tell me yes there was a lot of playing time yeah well what's what, what so what but they performed well but yet very 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 well okay. um, so for me yes we lost we lost 4-0 against a top Spanish side I can't say it was a victory I can't say it was a success yeah. but I have to scale it down to what the ultimate and, outcome was. And to keep the purpose, to yeah. focus on the purpose, yeah. absolutely. The, this thing about failure is extremely important. The way we look at failure. Mm -hmm. So, failure is learning. It should be learning. Mm -hmm. I would say there are no neutral moments. You either win or you learn. Yeah, it's the fun. Because when you lose, it's an opportunity to learn. Sometimes there are hardly many things to learn when you win because you don't think there's something to learn about it. But when you lose, there are so many things that you can learn from. And this is extremely important because in this world where parents are so much in control um, of kids and we don't allow them to make mistakes, we don't allow them to mess up. We are really keeping growth from happening. Okay. Okay. And extremely, it's extremely it's important. It's, yeah, a the culture, culture, uh, the it's a culture of fear So they to need to, to, to mess up. And sometimes even in business, in, in workforce, um, when something goes wrong, it is an opportunity to reflect, to, to reflect and get things even better. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, High performance, and I'm not 
referring really to elite performance because high performance happens to everyone. If we really believe that performance is extremely important to us, it's uh, one of our ultimate goals. You need to have this nice sense of flow where the common purpose um, is happening. Everyone feels in his place, but it is not a stable situation. You can't have this nice flow all the time. So there are moments when you are building towards something or rebuilding. Why rebuilding? After a loss, you need to come to uh, terms with what happened Absolutely. and what can be and uh, done. And learn from it. Absolutely. Analyze. So Absolutely. this is extremely important in, in, in my view. Yes. So many things are important. So many things I think we can learn from sport. This has been really a great conversation. I have literally a minute um, each um, to give us some you know, general insight now, not just on the leadership side, but you know, what can organizations, be it business or otherwise, you know, learn from sport from your vast experience? I start with George yeah. and wrap up with Pippa. First of all, the importance of communication. Coaching is communication. And that's extremely important. Um, unless you put the message across effectively, there can't be uh, more growth. Secondly, teamwork, the we factor, which is extremely uh, important. And also this growth mindset. Okay. So behaving, uh, going through experiences showing resilience, determination, tenacity. Mm -hmm. I believe that helps a lot. That, those are key. And change. Looking at change is, first of all, setting goals. We haven't had too much time talking about setting goals. It's very important knowing how to set goals. And there are different kinds of goals, outcome goals, and the process goals. Trusting in the process and not focusing completely in in, uh, on, on the outcome, so even staying in the moment, not already thinking about the outcome. Then the second thing, which is motivation. The third thing, which people mentioned, consistency and sustain. So the people around you, you need to work get people who are positive, mm -hmm. not toxic people exactly. um, around you. That's extremely important. That's really, really useful. Pippo, the last word is for you. <laughs> I think uh, sport and business and, and other sectors of society has a lot in common. But the one fundamental lesson that sport can impart to all the other fields is that before one wins, you need to learn how to lose. Without learning how to lose, you can never be a winner. Absolutely. Because winning starts with the last defeat. Absolutely. And the mindset of an athlete needs to be that. You cannot take the downs too deep. Excellent. They are there as a launching pad. They are there as a stimuli for your next performance and not as a deterrent to what is yet to come. And regrettably, even in my time in my business, I focus too much on the bottom line. Okay. And it's quite paradoxical because I, I, I went to tertiary, I had my tertiary university in the United States and I had a, a strange economics teacher. His name was Rolf Kraft. He made it to the Senate, incidentally, ultimately. And he always used to tell us, why are you going into business? And we all said, to make money. And he always used to correct us and he used to tell us, no, 
The first lesson in business is survival. Yeah. You need a survival kit, then the money comes after. Exactly. And I think sport has an analogy with that. Okay. Okay. Because before we learn to win, we have to learn to lose. This and this is an important lesson for parents, especially with young children, where they put too much emphasis that they need to win at six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Absolutely. They're there to play, to have fun, to grow in a natural environment which is creative for their mind's development. Absolutely. Listen, this has been really useful. I wish we had more time for this, but um, I really am much more convinced now than in, in, than in the last you know, half an hour that really we can learn a lot from the world of sport. George Mikalev, Pipop Saila, it's really great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. If you found this podcast useful, we have others on talent, emerging out of a crisis, Africa, and the imperative of being digital. You can find them on Spotify, on International Insights. This podcast series is produced for Trade Malta and is made possible thanks to HSBC and their international business financing solutions. We get technical help from Studio 7. Thank you for listening.